And three, two, one. You're listening to The Real Social Proof Podcast with Mr. Sleepers for Suckers himself, David Shand. Let's get it. Welcome to another edition of The Real Social Proof Podcast. And I just really, really want to jump into this. Normally, I'll do like a little intro. But, um, man, we got somebody who has been a true... um, friend, a true big brother, even though younger than me, um, on so many levels. And just, I've never met someone with such a genuine heart that is willing to help with absolutely no strings attached. And um, really just been a blessing. We got Mr. Inky Johnson. What's good, my brother? My brother. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. man. It's an honor. Thank First you. First off, man, before we get started, you know, man, I love giving cats their props, bro. I'm proud of you. I'm happy for you, man. You inspire me. And uh, it's an honor, man. man. It's an honor, brother. Thank you. Thank yeah. you, man. Uh, just for those who um, who don't know, mm-hmm. I guess, uh, introduce yourself. Yeah, man. Uh, Inky Johnson. Government name is Inquirious Johnson. But I'm a father, man. I'm a husband. Um, some would say motivational speaker. I look at it as serving. But, you know, communicator, man. Travel the country. A former collegiate athlete, had an injury that almost took my life, ended up paralyzing my right arm and hand. It's led me to the journey that I'm on now. So, mm. so um, I guess kind of fast forward, I guess not everybody knows your story, mm-hmm. but um, I'd love for you to like touch on the story um, of, you know, what happened. Absolutely. In your yeah. accident. So, so what happened was, you know, my position was that of I was a junior in college, I had aspirations my whole life of going to the NFL, and I had finally gotten into that position, and it looked as if it was about to manifest. All I had to do was play my junior season, and then, you know, by the grace of God, I was going to become an NFL draft pick, and things were going to work out. In the second game of my junior year, I went to make a tackle, routine tackle, and the crazy thing is I had been in a lot harder collisions, Mm -hmm. like way harder tackles, right? This was just supposed to be tackle, clock run out, game is over. When I went to make the tackle, I hit the guy, and it seemed as if every breath left my body and I lost control of my body. And when I hit the ground, I blacked out, had never experienced that before. And when I woke up, man, my guys were talking to me like, ain't get up, let's rock. And it was a shock going through my whole body and I couldn't feel anything, right? And that was scary. And then the shock left, but it stayed in my right arm and hand. And they brought the spine board out and it was all protocol to me, right? Like, they're supposed to do this. They get me up in the ambulance. We're going to take you over, run some tests. You know, it's football. Things happen. You'll be good. Mm-hmm. And they get me over. They run their tests. They bring me back into a room. Mom comes in, kisses me on my forehead, cracks a joke. Think you'll be good. And when she walks out, doctor comes, like, jogging in, and he's screaming. And he's like, you know, guys, get in here. We got to rush this kid back to surgery. He's about to die. And... You know, part of me thought, like, he was joking, right, or trying to make the situation more intense. And so I'm just like, man, like, you can't use another word, right? Like, (laughs) use a synonym, right? Like, die, right? Because it was cool, right? Right. You're just going through formality testing. And uh, I was like, what happened? you know he was awake or, like? Right. Yeah, yeah. I was up. I was chilling. I was in the room at this point. And uh, I was like, what happened? And he was like, when we were running a test, we noticed you had ruptured your subclavian artery. And you're bleeding internally. 
And so we couldn't see that at first. We're just operating and they're doing their thing. And you're and chilling. Like, it's just you feel the yeah, shock. Yeah, yeah. I feel, I feel pain, you know, but I'm chilling. It's still, I'm thinking maybe I got a broken arm, stinger, like something's going on with my shoulder. And he said, we got to rush you back, take the main vein out of your left leg and plug it into your chest in order to save your life. And he said, oh, I guarantee you, you won't be here in the morning. And I was like, let's go. And the next morning I woke up, I had six cuts down my left thigh, one cut across the left side of my neck, one across the right, twice through my right ribs, cut out my right pec, bottom of my armpit to the bottom of my hand, like a long scar, like from my armpit all the way down my arm. And I had 350 staples in my body. And he said, when we went in to repair the artery, we noticed you had torn the nerves in your brachial plexus, which are the nerve roots that come from your spine. It controls shoulder, arm, hands, and fingers. And he said, we had to repair that. And some of it we couldn't repair. And we got to wait until swelling, scar tissue, things like that go down. But so your football career is probably over. And my career was done. Mm. So this is obviously something you've been uh, going after your whole life. Um, but you came out on the other side of it. Absolutely. Uh, but like going through this process, I mean, to actually lose a limb, mm-hmm. what's the mindset? And I, and I, yeah. I know I know the story where you're like, yo, I'm going straight back to practice. Absolutely. Like just just warrior mindset. Yeah. But like, did you ever have a moment where you feel weak or vulnerable? Yeah, I, w- I was disappointed, man, um, because I'm a loyal person. And so many people had helped me got to that point, right? Like I had gotten there with the help of coaches, teachers, right? So many people, parents, family members, so many people that sacrificed for me, right? That I was like, man, when I make it, like I'm going to do something for them. Not that they came to me and was like, Ink, we help you. You got to do this. Nobody said that to me. Anybody that ever helped me, it was just like, it's on the strength. Just do what you do. Pay it forward. When you get in position, help another person. And so my way was going to be when I make it, I'm going to help them. Right. The reason I went as hard as I went was because I felt as if it would be disrespectful. Right. To the people that helped me get in that position for me to go into the football facility and cheat. I felt as if when I got to college, if I skipped class, it would be disrespectful to my mother that worked the double shift to help me get to college. Right. And so when it happened, the disappointment was that, man, I probably can't pay him back. Right. And so I was apologizing. You know what I'm saying? You lose your, like you lose your arm, you lose your pec. Yeah. Uh, you go through surgery, and the only thing you can think of is I'm not going to be able to pay people back. Absolutely, that was the first thought. That was the first like feeling of disappointment, right? That was the first feeling because you know, for me, man, I had been through adversity prior to that point. Like my childhood was full of adversity, and so it wasn't like quitting never popped into my head. Right. I just I I never been wired that way. Right. To where when something goes wrong, I hit adversity at opposition. I just stop, quit. I fold up the tent. I go in a fetal position. I've never been wired that way. Right. I've always been a fighter. Right. Never been a cat that played as if he was the toughest. I don't got to be. But if it goes down, like I'm not running. Mm. Right. Like I've always been that cat. And so for me, like I never even entertained that. But I wanted to repay the people that helped me get in that position. Mm. So after you get through that, mm-hmm. what's the resolve? Like you never, I'm having a hard, I feel like if I lost a limb, I'd be like, 
Yeah. What am I going to do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> of course. And, yeah. and I guess I, it kind of makes sense now just knowing you mm. that I believe you really thought like that because it's yeah, no always doubt. somebody else first. No doubt. You know what I mean? No doubt. Is that something you develop or is that mm. something through experiences? Where do you get that from? Yeah, I think it's a bit of both um, because of how I grew up and my situation. So growing up to a mother that had me at 16 years old, she was young, she's figuring life out being taken back to a two-bedroom home, 14 people, right? And so in my childhood, it was a lot of things that people came along and did for me or put me in certain positions or introduced me to certain things, exposure, right? Paying for me to go on trips, doing certain things for me. And when it would happen, I would always feel like, man, they didn't have to do that, Mm. right? Like the coach that had me and my cousins in sports, he had his own business. He was already doing well. He didn't have to pay for us. He didn't have... No feeling of entitlement to us. He didn't know anybody in our family, but he stopped and he did it, right? My eighth grade math teacher and basketball coach came in our neighborhood, stood on the corner with my uncle, right, who's in prison right now, and said, Ink, like, you better than this, right? And I'm like, man, I hear you. He was like, I'm going to just come pick you up in the morning until you graduate high school. I'm going to play you in a game of one-on-one basketball. I'm going to read you a proverb. He had three kids of his own. They had adopted three more from the Atlanta public school system. He didn't have to do that, right? And so when it happened... It was more so of the spirit of not that I'm putting somebody in front of me. It was the spirit of, man, they helped me and they didn't have to do that. Right. And so I want to live my life to honor them more so than my words. I want to honor them with my actions. And so when an injury happened, it was more so of, all right, I can't probably pay them back this way. But the way I can honor them is if I take the adversity, take the opposition and I still graduate. Right. And I still do something with my life. That can make them proud. Gotcha, gotcha. Absolutely. So in, in that mindset, when you're working your whole life to reach this pinnacle of your career and you know you're about to get drafted, mm. and all that goes away. Absolutely. So where does your mind turn to what's the next plan? Mm-hmm. Was it, yo, I'm going to use the story to go speak? Am I going to yeah. start a business? Am I going to get a job? Like, what is, yeah. what's your thought process after that? Uh, the natural transition was I'm just going to coach, right? And I think now, looking back on it, you know, we always look back over something that we've been through. We can connect the dots. I think I was trying to control the situation because as people, when we don't know what's next, what do we try to do? We want to control it. Right. If we go out of this building right now and we walk around and they say, hey, man, when you get up to the end, make a left. You're going to be like, what's at the left? Like, why do I need to make the left? I want to know what's up at the left. Like, we want to know. And so naturally in our lives, when we got to pivot, like we've all had to pivot, right? Whether it was a first business, some people first marriage, relationship with our children, something didn't go the way that we wanted it to go. And we had to pivot. And so I said, natural transition. I love the game. I'm going to coach, right? I started coaching, got into it. Like speaking was Never even on the radar for me. Like, I had never at, even thought about it. Like, during college you started coaching? Like, while you were yeah, still yeah, there? Or yeah, after? yeah, Yep, so gotcha. I became a student coach first, mm-hmm. and then I graduated, got my master's in four and a half years total, right? So I graduated in three years, undergrad. I was a student coach for that fourth and a half year. After I got my master's, I became a graduate assistant. They got right? you a master's in four and a half years. Yeah, yeah, so I, I went to college first. early, gotcha. and I never really went home. So in May, when most cats would go home, I would just take an extra session, and then I would do summer session. And so when you stay, you can graduate early. Yeah, mm. Absolutely. So you always had great grades, huh? No. No. In How college, you do yeah. In college, I did. Right. In high school, no. Uh-uh. No, man. <laughs> How you make that transition? No. Because so I was serious. I was a high school yeah, yeah. athlete. Like, yeah. 
like high school, they're not doing well in high school. Obviously, they go to college and they're Absolutely. struggling. How do you make that transition? Was it did you get better after your injury, where you had time to focus, or what was that? No, I had more resources, right? And so I was coming from Crim uh, High School, mm. which was at the time Atlanta Public School, one of the lowest performing public schools in the state of Georgia, right? And it wasn't that I didn't have great teachers. I had some great teachers, man, that helped me get in the position that I was in. I just didn't know. I was telling a kid this the other day. Like, I just didn't know about the process. I wanted to go to college. I had dreams of going to the NFL. When I met with my first college coach and they started breaking down core courses, right, the sliding scale, ACT, SAT, like, I just didn't know, right? And so when they were telling me, they like, you need this, you need that. And I was like, man, I ain't got none of that, (laughs) right? Like, I got to do something. I just didn't know. And when I got to college, they put you in meetings intentionally and tell you the resources that you have. You got a building that's dedicated to you. As an athlete, you got tutors that's dedicated to you to help you. And so I was like, if I don't take advantage of the resources, I told the cats in the first meeting, I said, man, if any of us come out of here and we don't graduate, like you can't blame nobody but yourself because you got all the resources that you need and you have the infrastructure that's trying to help you do it. And so when I got to college, I had the system, the infrastructure and the resources for me to take advantage of it and so I graduated early, and I was trying to make it to the NFL. That was my plan, to graduate in three and go to the NFL. And after you graduate, you're coaching, obviously. Then you leave, and mm. then what? Absolutely. So when I was in my third year of my graduate assistantship, I had an opportunity to go out to California, had another opportunity to go to LSU um, just as like a quality control it's like a step down from a coordinator, mm-hmm. so in a coaching sense. And right major? around this time, my major in, in undergrad was political science. My master's was in psychology. Okay, I got you. And so when I got these opportunities, my wife was still in Atlanta at the time, mm-hmm. and she was teaching. And so I would be going back and forth every time I got a gap, and she called me, and she was like, I'm pregnant, right? And I was like, whoa. Were you married at this point? Yeah, man. And uh, how how old were you when you got married? I was twenty four. My wife gonna kill me, man. You put me on the spot. <laughs> no, uh, twenty four. Yeah. How long were you together before you got married? You no, know, we had been on and off. Right. You know, together ever since we were kids, man. Like fifth grade. Wow. You know what I'm saying we've been at it. Like even when we weren't together, we were together. Type of joint, you right, know. Right. And um, when this happened. I went into my coach. I remember telling him I was like, I was so nervous, right? I was like, man, I was in his office, and he was like, "What's up, Hank?" I was like, "Yeah, man. Somehow my wife got pregnant. Right? <laughs> I'm so nervous. Right? One thing led to hey, the next. I'm nervous, right? And he was like, "Somehow." I was like, "Yeah." And uh, he was like, "Nah, man, I get it." And I was like, "But I, I really want to go back and, you know, be there for my family, right? I don't want my children." or my wife to have to deal with what I dealt with growing up. And he was like, no, man, you should go. Be there for your family. And I called the guy in Atlanta at the time that was over Atlanta Parks and Rec. He picked up. I was like, man, I need to come back home. I need a job. Coming back, I want to take care of my family. And he was like, no problem. I was like, can I work at the rec center in Kirkwood, like in my neighborhood? I want to work with the kids that's growing up the way I grew up, right? I want to create leadership curriculums. He was like, no problem, Mm -hmm. right? And I pack up my stuff. I move back. I call him. Never answer. Email. Never responded. Went up to the center. Supposed to get a job. Supposed to get a job. And he just not answer. Blank. 
right? And so I'm freaking out because I'm in my wife's grandmother's home, two blocks away from where I grew up, right? In a bedroom at her grandmother's home, right? And so I go up to the center, tell them, hey, I'm Inky Johnson, you know, they like, give me your resume. I provide it to them. They're like, you overqualified. I was like, what's that? Like, I just want to work, work with the kids. You know what I'm saying? They're like, yeah, man, we, we can't do anything for you. And so at this point, I was, like, confused, right? And that was the first time in my journey I had been confused, right, to where I was just like, man, like, God, I don't know. What's up, right? Because I felt as if, okay, I came from this neighborhood. I'm in the exact same neighborhood I grew up in. I came from this neighborhood. These people helped me in this neighborhood. I got to college. I got a step away from making it to the NFL. I get injured. I start coaching. And God, you bring me right back to the same neighborhood I grew up in? Mm. Like two blocks away from where I grew up with nothing? And so I'm back at ground zero in my wife's grandmother's home without a job, like with probably $250 or more to my name. I'm like, God, what's up, man? And like every morning, bro, my wife would get up and I would get up, get dressed. We would pray and I would go look for a job. Right. Like speaking was never on the radar. I was still doing community service, but I would go look for a job. Like I was trying to work because I felt as if, man, I need to provide for my family. And we had our daughter, Jada. Was your wife working at this time? Yeah, she was a teacher. Absolutely. Yeah. So why didn't you just take one of the jobs and move your family? Mm hmm somewhere else to wherever you was going. Yeah, because my wife didn't want to move because, you know, my wife lost both her parents when she was young and she was raised by a grandmother. And so a grandmother's getting up in age and, you know, she's the one that's there for a grandmother. And so she was like, I don't want to leave my grandmother and grandmother don't want to leave either. She's not trying to leave and move out to California, Louisiana. Gotcha. And so I was like, cool, well, I'll come to you. And when I came to her, she was working and I was trying to get a job so I could try to build us a life. And um, people would say to me, I would go to community service events. And just naturally, because of my arm, you know, somebody would be like, hey, man, what happened to your arm? Yeah. Right. And it would just be question after question. And I would look up and like everybody would just gravitate like, oh, man, that's cool. And I wasn't trying to speak. I wasn't trying to captivate an audience. It was just natural and genuine. And then when we would leave, catch with all these, hey, man, you might need to look at speaking. And I'd be like, no, nah, I'm cool on that. Mm-hmm. I ain't trying to do that. And one day, Gerard Mayo, he's the linebackers coach for the Patriots, one of my best friends. And uh, we were talking one night, and I was like, bro, like, and I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. You know, I'm trying to find something that's fulfilling and rewarding. He's like, man, you need to speak. And he's like, bro, you need to pray about it. And we went through spiritual discipleship together, mm-hmm. me, him, and our other buddies. And, um, during college, right? Yeah, a bunch yeah, of during college, right? yeah. yeah. And <clears throat> I prayed, bro, and I kid you not. Like, I prayed about it, and it was simple, man. Like, I wasn't no deep dude. I was just like, Lord, I don't know what you want me to do with my life. I was like, people are saying speak. Like, this, this is, like, how low I was, right, in terms of life, confusion, not knowing what was next, right? I was like, people are saying speak. I'm talking about what people are saying. Not even what I'm saying, not even my intuition, not even what I'm feeling. People are saying I need to speak. What year is this? Right? Think back. What year is this? Because this is before probably, speaking was cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was early 20s. It was early 20s, right? I wasn't mm. 20s. It was early 20s. 
And I was like, people are saying speak. I was like, if it's speaking, I'll be obedient and let's rock. I was like, I just want to do something that's fulfilling and rewarding. I want to impact and I want to take care of my family. Right. Mm. And I'm still getting up. Right. And at this point, when we got married, I had finished my book. I wasn't doing anything with it. I just had a book and people would hit me up from time to time. Just word of mouth. Hey, man, uh, I met Jeffrey in Knoxville. He told me you got a cool story. You should come down and share. Right. <laughs> I was like, all right, cool. Right. And that's when I got the trip to Mississippi mm. to speak. Right. right. That was my first trip. And I drove, bro. It's 15 hour round trip. And I got back home that morning, like two, three in the morning. And my wife was waiting up for me. And she was like, how did it go? I was like, man, it went great. Like, I enjoyed it. Like, it felt right. It was cool. And I was I was really listening and being intentional at this point to everything, how I was feeling, what was going on. And she was like, what did you get? And I was like, he gave me this cool coffee mug, right? And she was like, <laughs> you know, she looking like, what? You sure? This is what you're supposed to be doing? I was like, yes, ma'am. And uh, she was like, go for it. And bro, that from that point. So, so the time that, from the time where, you know, like you're at your lowest mm-hmm. and you decide to speak, because back then, I mean, especially us, we didn't know speaking was a career. No. Like that. Like know. there was Les Brown, of course. Right. And then, you know, you had some some dope people like Tony Robbins or, you know, Jim Rohn, these people. But we didn't speak. No. Where did that plan come no. from? No. For me, it started as something that felt right. Mm. Like, because when I got that trip to Mississippi. But were you doing it thinking, yeah. yo, if I'm a speaker, I can make some money. No. I can really? Mm. No, I was doing it because it felt right. And I felt as if I was helping people. Right. Like when somebody would say to me, like a dude said to me once, he was like, man, I saw your story on the news. And he said, I got a wife and I got three daughters. I'll never forget it. I got a wife and I got three daughters. And he said, I was about to leave. White life was kicking my butt. Right. And he said, I saw your story on the news. And I said, if this guy can laugh at what he's going through. Right. And hang in there. Surely I can hang in there with my wife. And my three daughters. And I was like, man, if I represent that to people, I got to take my life a little bit more serious. Right. I never saw like I never saw my story as anything special. I never saw my life journey as anything special because the cats I was growing up with, they were dealing with similar thing, if not worse. Right. But I never just thought like that. I never thought I'm going to share my story and it's going to impact people. I never thought like that. I just felt like, man, I'm doing what's right. It feels right to me. I'm able to impact somebody along the way. I think this is what God wants me to do. I'm going to be obedient. Yeah. Like for me in that time period in the beginning, it was strictly about obedience. Right. right. Because in the Bible it says obedience is better than sacrifice. But for most people, what do we do? We judge the level of sacrifice without first being obedient. Mm-hmm. Right. We want to know what is it going to cost us for most cats? If they got two hundred and fifty dollars in the bank, they're not riding to Mississippi. Yeah. Right. To go speak. And they don't know what they're getting. They're right. not doing it. Because they're judging a the level of sacrifice. Talk about, I got two. No, I'm not driving and spending my money on gas right. and spending my money on food and coming back. And I got a family. And if you break it down, that's probably the right thing to do if you look at it with certain logic, right? <laughs> right. You know, I don't think like, I'm not you like, yeah, right. if you look at it, but it was strictly about obedience. And I think now, because of the position that I'm in and the opportunities that I get, it was birthed from the obedience in the early years. Right. I still do the same thing. I still operate by the same values and principles. It's just on a lot bigger stage. Right. The audience is a lot bigger now. But the obedience is the same way. 
Mm. Did you yeah. give up on your your goal to um, like pay your family back? Right. That yeah. was a that was a big thing. Yeah. And in this situation right now, mm-hmm. it seems no way you're gonna be able to take care. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So like, I, I, I know this was like crossing your mind. Like, Absolutely. I mean, at some point, I want to be able to take care of my family, but it mm-hmm. it doesn't seem like. Because and, and again, you wasn't even looking at speaking as a way to financially become successful. You was like, "Yo, I need to make an impact." Absolutely. On somebody. So, did you give up on how that was going to happen? Yeah, it's it's almost as if just the the dialogue changed, right? Like they told me, like, "Bro, you don't have to pay us back. We just want you to do something with what you've been given. We just want you to pay it forward." Now, I wasn't thinking so much about being able to pay them back. I was thinking more so in terms of. I want to honor them with what I'm doing. I want to honor them with the way that I represent them. I want to honor them with the way that I deal with people. And so for me, with the people I was dealing with, that was paying them back. How you carry yourself every day, how you treat people. When we meet people that have encountered you, how they speak about you, right? That was their return on investment. And I think through that, the byproduct of that is one day you will be able to pay them back, right? Yeah, absolutely. So so walk me through strategy on... Mm -hmm living this amazing life because some people look at you as a, as a speaker yeah. but i'm able to like know you like the behind the scenes where you're doing way more than speaking right. on like some huge level so right. um you go speak mm-hmm. the one time it's yeah. <laughs> obviously <laughs> you, you take an l absolutely but uh sorry moving forward from there like mm-hmm. where where does this strategic mind come from in planning out your next steps. Yeah. So I'm the type of person, um, the way that I am. So if me and you were together and you said to me, hey, Inc., I created this board game, right? And I think it's pretty cool, man. And I got a dope strategy that I feel it could help some people, right? Like I feel like it can do it. And you say, hey, Inc., I want you to look at this, man. Just check it out. Tell me what you think. So the way my mind works is, I'm going to look at it a hundred different ways, right? I'm going to test it every way that I feel as if it can help somebody. I'm going to try to figure that out, right? Everything about it. And so for me with speaking, when I said, okay, I'm going to do it, right? I'm going to do it full tilt. Let's go. Let's rock. From a communication standpoint, it was a privilege for me, right? Like every time somebody said, we wanted you to go to speak, I was like, man, they want me to go speak, <laughs> right? Like, I'm still that way. And people are like, oh, man, I get, so, I get stoked, bro, because <laughs> somebody is actually asking you to come and speak, mm-hmm. right? Just think about just that simple fact of somebody actually wants you to come to where they are and they want to hear what you have to say because they feel it's valuable, mm-hmm. right? So I'm like, man, people actually want to hear what I got to say. Okay, let me break it down. How can I be both efficient and effective in terms of communication to make the biggest impact while I'm in that room, right? Not just speaking, right? Whether it's tone, whether it's understanding the emotions that they want to feel, what do they want me to get across when I'm on stage? What's the feeling they want the audience to leave with? What are the points that you want me to touch on? What is it that's important to you guys that you think can bridge the gap? Are there any filler words? Are there anything that you want me to touch on that you feel, man, if you say this, if you touch on this, that's really going to connect with them, right? How can I do my due diligence in terms of a preparation standpoint? First and foremost, they've asked me to come and share, right? They value what I have to say. Most importantly, God has trusted me with an amazing opportunity, right? Like it's an amazing level of accountability with what we've been called to do. 
That's how I feel about it. Right. That you have the you have the art and the ability to say something and it can change the way literally somebody thinks. Right. It can change the way they go back in their household and they operate with their wife and their children based upon what you have to say. Like God has trusted you with that. Right. And so making sure I'm not arrogant, making sure I'm never in the place and space of I'm taking for granted the opportunity that I have, making sure I'm doing my due diligence. So when I step on the stage, I understand what's at stake. That's way more than a speaking engagement. Right. Somebody when people come up to you and like like when when we were at the conference and your guy was talking about the weighty laws. Right. And you use that as an example. Boy, that was one of the most powerful things I've ever seen in my life. Right. Because you not only inspired him, you changed his life like you changed the quality of his life. And he valued and trusted you enough to do it. You know how many people probably came to him and was like, bro, you need to lose some weight. <laughs> and he was like, well, whatever. Like, I hear you. You might be right, but whatever. I don't value what you got to say like that. So whatever. But when you said it right, when you said it like God trusted you with that position and knew. When Dave say this to him, he's going to get on the right track and never missing that. And so for me, it was about the art of communication, the art of understanding behavior science, the art of understanding preparation, the art of understanding when I come into a room, what am I trying to accomplish? Right. And at first, when I started speaking, I just wanted to kill it. I just wanted to dunk. Right. (laughs) It's like I'm balling. You get the rock and you little what you want. I want to dunk. Right. (laughs) Then you go from the dunking to. I just went right, right. and one, right? right? I'm the mixtape. And then you start to learn strategy. Then you start to understand the game. Then you start to understand how to make plays and get people involved. Then you start to understand the structure of it. Then you start to understand, okay, you might then score on that play, but you made the play happen, mm-hmm. right? Because of how you operated. And so it was about understanding how to operate and how to function but never taking that, res- that responsibility for granted. Like, bro, I still get hyped when people ask me. Oh, man. I, yeah. I, I think I literally, and just knowing you all this time, I think I really, truly right now understand why you're one of the greatest speakers in the world. Because it's not about how can I be a better presenter, but how can I best serve this? Like, finding out what this audience needs. Let me, tell, let me tell you the illest thing that ever happened. So this was 2000 and. 17, was that the, the, the first time we started the tour with ETs in 2017? So I'm sitting there, we were in the back room, I'm sitting there, I'm going over my notes, and you're sitting to the left of me, I'm here, I think Nehemiah was to your right, I remember the scene, I think uh, Quest was like across from us, but you said, yo, what's, what you going to speak on? Mm-hmm. So I'm like going over my notes, sharing my notes, right? Yeah. And I think you had your notebook too, and I said, what you going to speak on? He's like, I don't know. Yeah. Right. Yo, I remember it so vividly. <laughs> and this this moment like changed my life as a speaker. And I said, well, it was strange to me because I'm just yeah. curious. I'm like, all right, you got notes. <laughs> you clearly you got some sort of direction. Yeah. I think you're like yeah. you're, you're playing with me. You're like, no, I'm not studying right now what I'm going to say, but how I'm going to say it. I'm mm-hmm. studying how like I'm studying the emotion mm. that I want to draw. I'm I'm studying like. How how to pull from the audience and how the audience can best pull from me. It was the craziest thing. And I did It's so important that black voices are represented in black media for so many different reasons. And the next generation of black uh, voices and influencers from black voices can be found on NPR's new collection. 
Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collections, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. And every episode is a living account about what it means to be black today, told from a unique black perspective. From Bobby Smyrta to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations, there's no limit to the range of Black Stories, Black Truths. I listen and I'm enjoying these conversations that are for us, by us. Black representation, again, it hasn't always been uh, shared from our perspective. And black perspectives haven't been censored in the telling of America's story. Now they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the black experience. Here are a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center black voices. It's NPR. Noir. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as very nuanced and black as the country we reflect. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen to the Black Stories, Black Truths on NPR, wherever you get podcasts. All right, let's do some quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you can keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headache, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, access from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. It just makes sense. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit from NetSuite? I know you see it. Listen to me. If you have everything scattered in business, you cannot grow. And everything is more expensive when you have more and more processes layered on top of each other, more and more softwares. You got to get out of that. And it, it will improve efficiency and cut costs. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com slash social proof. That's NetSuite.com slash social proof. NetSuite.com slash social proof. Hey, y'all, I ain't going to lie, man. They sent me this Eufy lock. Think about being on the couch. Someone rings the doorbell. Your child left their key at school. And they need you to get off the couch to open the door. Well, you don't have to do it anymore with this Eufy lock. You can open, unlock, see who's at the door all on your phone. It's super easy to install. You can set up with just a Phillips screwdriver, no drilling required. It's keyless entry. So it's no more fumbling for your keys when your hands are full coming from the grocery store. 0.3 second fingerprint recognition. Listen, you put your fingerprint on there. 
You don't have, even if you got you got your bags, you put one finger out there, boop, you get to unlock your door that way. No battery anxiety. You don't have to worry about the battery dying. Quick charging, it's incredible. Also, passcode unlocking and remote control with a 2K clear sight camera so you can see who's at the front door. You're in control anywhere from the app. Enhanced night vision, it's absolutely incredible. No monthly fee either. So unlike other brands that charge a monthly fee, you have you have uh, recordings locally, and you don't have to pay for the storage. Customer support is on 10. Listen, Eufy is on standby for you 24-7 so you can enjoy a worry-free experience with an 18-month warranty, all backed by our professional customer service team. Listen, you can contact them anytime, telephone, email, or live chat, okay? Listen, you need this Eufy lock. You need to look it up. All you have to do is go to the official website, eufy.com. I just... Order mine, okay? I love this product. It is incredible. It's a game changer. It makes life so much easier, right? So if you have a video doorbell already or any smart lock, it's it's, it's time to replace it. It's time to replace it. So listen, search Eufy, E-U-F-Y, video lock. Search Eufy, video lock. That's E-U-F-Y, video lock. Or visit eufyofficial.com forward slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door, okay? You can get a complete control of your front door, your life, back door, incredible, okay? So search Eufy, E-U-F-Y, video lock, or visit eufyofficial.com forward slash video lock. I understand it for a while after you said it. No doubt. But it was... After that, I realized you are a true student of speaking, not what you're going to say, but how to control an entire environment. And that's a whole nother level. Absolutely. Like, so we're, 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 I I got so many questions on, um, on how you develop that hunger Mm -hmm. and how you got away from just wanting to dunk because that's a maturity. Absolutely. So like, how, how, how did you start to? mature was it just mm-hmm. repetition or a mindset change yeah it was it was uh it was both but um like so when i would get opportunities early on i was getting opportunities from everybody so i'm at the boys and girls club i'm going to birthday parties was it based on your story or yeah. like you just kept killing it and everybody no, kept saying, no, yeah. no 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 it was based upon i wanted to speak as much as possible right because i felt as if the more reps i would get the more i would develop in terms of a communicator so it wasn't about money at this point it wasn't about fee, nothing. I was taking everything, right? And it was solely based upon me trying to develop my skills, my structure as a communicator. So we would talk to cats. I got $700. All right, cool. I got $1,500. Cool. $25. Cool. $13. I had numbers like crazy. <laughs> Kevin, how you get to that number? $873. Right? <laughs> everything right and I knew sometimes cats would feel like man I got a deal and I was cool with it like I wasn't I wasn't stuck on none of that I was trying to develop so a cat would hit me like can you come speak at the birthday party I'd be like cool can you come to the country club it's women at from the age range of 60 to 70 years old I'm like bet I spoke at a um it was a government thing in Knoxville uh, I don't know what you call it, man, to where when they're certifying the people to come, you know, to 
the immigrants, right? Mm. It was some type of immigrant certification, <laughs> right? They hit me up. I was like, bet, right? I don't know a lick of Spanish. Or I was doing everything, right? right? And the reason I was doing it was because I knew I couldn't go into those rooms and navigate and speak the same way. Mm-hmm. I knew that. I didn't know much about speaking, but I knew I couldn't approach every audience the same. Mm-hmm. I knew I couldn't approach a football team with the same energy with the ladies that are 60 to 70 years old. And so what I was trying to figure out was, how do I navigate these different audiences but be just as effective and just as efficient with my communication? What are they looking for? And so it was about challenging myself. And for most people, when they start doing something early on, they want to play to their strength. Mm-hmm. So if you got a right hand and you could dribble, what hand are you going to put the ball in? I'm going to put it in my right. And you might got 10 vicious moves right. from the right, <laughs> right, right that you feel as if, Man, can't nobody stop me. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to play against a cat, and what are you going to do? He's just going to line up on the right yeah. and be like, no, you got to go left. <laughs> and you're going to try to go right. He's just, he just right, going to back right. up. You got to go left, right. right? And then after a while, if you don't develop that, you're going to be stuck and you're going to be limited. Show me the proof. Have you been struggling with starting, growing, or scaling your business? Don't know where to start? Can't figure out the next steps? Feeling overwhelmed? Do you feel stuck? Not sure if you're doing it right? Do you feel like you need help? Let's go. Go, go. We understand. Come join us April 2nd and 3rd, 2020 in Atlanta, Georgia. Social Proof, the conference that helps entrepreneurs start, grow, and scale their business. And to get you right, we're introducing the number one motivational speaker, Eric Thomas, the hip-hop preacher, live at the conference. I stopped saying I've got to wait for good things to happen to me, and I said I'm going to grind. I'm going to fight. I'm going to work. I'm going to press toward. I'm going to learn. I'm going to do everything in my power every single day. I'm going to do everything in my power to become a victor and not a victim. For more info and ticket information, go to realsocialproof.com. That's realsocialproof.com. April 2nd and 3rd, 2020 in Atlanta, Georgia. See you there. Right. And so for me, when I would go into these different rooms, go into a birthday party, go into a church, go to a football room, go to a corporate event. What I was learning how to do, it wasn't about money. It wasn't about anything. It was solely based upon me and my ability to learn how to communicate and navigate, mm. learn transitions. Right. Learn how to do different things. What emotions did I notice get pulled out when I used this story? Right. And so I was basically just collecting that. It's like when cats box, you meet some cats, they come out and they swing in as hard as First round, they trying to knock your head off. Then you meet some cats that are nice. They know what they're doing. A Floyd Mayweather, he ducking. He collecting data. First four rounds. Then you just see him murder and annihilate the opponent. Mm -hmm. Right? Because he got everything he need. And so for me, early on in my career, I wasn't one of the best. I knew that. I was learning. I was speaking in every environment I could speak in. But now, you could put me in any room on any face of the planet you give me any assignment. And I'm more than confident that I can be effective and efficient in getting that message across to whatever audience it is. Dang, your, your level yeah. to, to have, to experience delayed gratification is insane, bro. Like, you're just going, speaking like, yo, I just want to learn more crowds, different crowds, different audiences. Mm-hmm. And us as speakers, and like, literally, you're talking to me too. Like, um, I grow every time I talk to you. Um, but... Yeah. Like, at some point, especially when you start getting paid, 
Right. It's like, oh, you got you got to pay me now. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. <laughs> and we, we were actually talking at, uh, it was something we was, you was doing in Atlanta a couple months ago. And you said something to me. And you was like, man, a lot of cats just want to speak and get paid. Mm-hmm. And they get too good for the free gigs. Mm-hmm. He's like, yo, I'll still go speak. No doubt. And it really convicted me because earlier that week I had a conversation with somebody. And they wanted me to come. And I didn't go because, um, like, they weren't trying to put anything together. Right. You know what I mean? Like, right. in, just in a transparent moment, it was, right. it was convicting. And ever since that day, I said, yo, I, if I want to do what Inky's doing, I got to do what Inky did. Hmm. Meaning, I got to go speak as often as possible. In this story right now of how you're able to delay gratification, yeah. knowing that it all accumulates in the end, is absolutely amazing. Absolutely. With no slide, you don't need no slides. Yeah. Like if the slides uh, break, it's over. Yeah, I was telling the story yeah, yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, were, you were speaking one time, and my man's whole life was ruined. Oh man, <laughs> I'm telling you. And I experienced that. Like, like what he's speaking to is, I remember being in a room, and you know, a cat had some slides, and he he started off, and he was rocking, and it was shortly into his presentation, and the technology went out. Like he couldn't use his slides. And my man just was like, I can't do it, right? <laughs> and he walked to, like, the corner of the stage. He's like, I can't do it. And they was like, what, what do you mean you can't do it? Like, <laughs> we paid you. Like, you, just go up and do, do something, right? He was like, no, the slide's like, I can't do my deal, right? And they was like, what do you mean? He was like, we, technology went out. I don't have my slides. I can't do what mm. I do. And he didn't do it, right? And the man came to me, and he was like, hey, can you go? I was like, yeah, it's cool. <laughs> All day that's, long. That's rock, right? And to me, like, I've been in rooms where the powers went out, literally. And I was the last presenter, right? Mm-hmm. I'm watching people go, lights on, they rocking, they playing music. And as soon as I get up and say, I want to think, boom, power goes out. Everybody freezes. I tell a dude, I say, hey, man, can you pop that door in the back? Can you pop that other door and pop this window? Light comes in and we rock. Right. I've been in. I kid you not. I was speaking at Arkansas State. I was watching the program unfold. I kid you not. As soon as I get up to speak, I see a guy get up from his table. I'm peripheral. <laughs> I see him get up and he's walking. My man just falls. Hits the ground. Right. When I turn Something is going on with him. I can't see from the stage, but something is going on. People start running. Hey, get the ambulance. This, that, and the third, right? I'm still at the podium, right? Some people are sitting down. Some people are attending to him. I'm like, man, I'm at a university, right? Like prayer. I start praying, right? Not trying to be on the spiritual stuff. I just felt it, right? On the mic. I just felt it in my heart. Like, man, something serious is going on with my man because they call him for ambulance, this, that, and the third. And I felt it in my heart, and I just wanted to be true to what I felt. I start praying for him. Afterwards, they get him up, get him in the ambulance, get him out of there. I get done praying. I go take my seat. Um, president or whoever it was gets up after me, thanks everybody for coming. Everybody starts to dismiss. He came to me, and he said to me, I think you were orchestrated and put in this position just for that. 
He said, I don't know if anybody else could have handled that situation the way you just handled it, mm. right? And so for me as a communicator, it's about being skilled, right? It's about being effective, but also it's about understanding and being sensitive to the climate in the room, right? And so for some people, we've both seen it. They'll go in and they'll talk to some old ladies, right? Not saying old, but, you know, mature in age. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they'll talk to them with the same energy and passion that they'll give to a football team, right? And it'll scare the life out of them. You can't do that, right? And so for me, being a student, understanding the climate in the room, but also trusting my intuition. Like, I think that's something that E is phenomenal at, man. Like, you see him and, like, like we all know E is a phenomenal communicator. Like, second to none. Phenomenal. But I think one of his greatest traits is he understands the climate in the room, but not only understands the climate in the room, he has the courage to trust it and go after it, mm. right? Like, he has the courage to step up, and you'll think E is going in one direction. He'll go a totally different yeah. direction and murder it, right? And I don't think that's something that a lot of people can do. Not that they can't do it, but the fact that they're not sensitive enough to it and understand it. So if they're not sensitive enough to it, they're not going to have the courage to follow it. Man, I think that just speaks a lot to the difference between developing as a speaker and developing the speaker, the actual person, mm-hmm. like the person you are that can handle the situation. Absolutely. But my man with the slides, he was developing as a like he worked yeah. on his presentation. Absolutely. And if I ain't got that crutch, yeah, man. it's over. Absolutely. It's over. Yeah. So how many times a week do you speak? Or how many yeah. gigs per year do you yeah. do? So, man, I used to do, like, and when I first started out, like I said, I was just speaking a lot. Mm. Bro, I did, one year I did, like, 170 gigs. Like, I'll never what? forget. Yeah. Let me tell you. I'll never forget. Because me and my wife, we always do a little overview at the end of the And when year. was this? What, what year was this? This was a few years ago. Oh, so this ain't, I was this running. ain't, this ain't the $2,000 no, gig. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, this was a few years ago. I was running, right? And I'll never forget, me and my wife sat down, and she was like, you were going a lot this year, right? And that's all she said. Like, and me and my wife, we know each other, you know, inside and out. But what I was doing was I was trying to get to the point that I'm at now. And I knew, okay, if you want to be intentional about getting to that point, you have to run and you have to go. You have to go as much as possible because you want not only people to know you, right? I'm, I'm still not well known, but you want to develop, right? So you can be able to be in a position, you can command a lot more, but also you can be just as effective and efficient and make them feel as if they're giving more value for what they're paying you. And so now... You know, I base my schedule around my wife and my children, right? Because I'm in a different situation, both in terms of the type of business that I do, but also from a financial standpoint, because I've been speaking for a while now. And so I'm in a different position. But years ago, I wasn't. But I was intentional about getting to this position and knew I wanted to get in this position. And so a lot of my trips now, like we were talking about, they're day trips. So I'll get up, I'll go speak. And then I'll come right back home. Like, I very seldomly stay the night. You know, I do it here and there for different requests, different environments. But I very seldomly do that. Back in the day, I used to do it a lot, right? Because I was running to get to this point. I didn't start here. And I'm still building because years from now, I don't expect to be running the way that I'm running now. And so I'm being intentional about 
the landing place that I want to be at, right? Gotcha. Gotcha. So, I, got, I got a couple more questions. Well, I have a million more questions, but kind of kind of dig into like some of how you develop these business relationships because mm-hmm. I think a lot of people don't know like the behind the scenes businessman you are like on a whole nother level so how did it come together with like your partners and you know kind of like some of the wild stuff you got going on yeah uh accountability right accountability groups and so when i was in college me and my roommates at the time it was me uh, gerard mayo robert ayers uh ramon foster sinclair cannon we were always big on accountability right just holding each other accountable talking to each other checking up on each other and when, you know, they went to the NFL and one of them didn't, Sinclair didn't, we still all kept in touch and would check on each other. When they got kids, got married, check on each other and we would meet, right? And so at these meetings twice a year, we would just talk about life and they brought up the element in terms of to say, hey, Inc., uh, man, we want to do something from a legacy standpoint to take care of our wives, take care of our children. It's like, all right, bet, what you have in mind? And so they brought to the table some investments, right? And at the time, it was just investments. And, you know, they they had the same financial advisor at the time, a guy that I was cool with, you know, just from a business standpoint, helped me develop some LLCs, different things like that, mentored me, and went to him, talked to him about it. It was like, cool. And so we got involved from a business aspect in, you know, these hotels, and assisted living facilities. When was this? When was this? This happened when I was 25. So it was like right after the accident. Yeah, Yeah. 25. So you're broke at this point. Absolutely. (laughs) So how did you? So you just had a loyal group that said, yo, hey, we got you. Yeah. And so it wasn't wasn't at the time, like, so my injury happened at 20. This happened around 25. Oh, so you was five years in. Yeah, yeah. And so I was still broke. Though. I didn't have nothing. <laughs> and and um, it was just accountability. And when we brought this to the table, it was basically they were in the NFL heavy and they wanted to do it. Right. They were like, OK, if we do this, Inc., we want to make you managing partner. And so you got the opportunity to go to the meetings, you got the opportunity to learn the business, you got the opportunity you cut the checks you over all the accounts. And we're going to give you a different percentage for every deal that we do, right? And the return on investment, right? We got you. You go to the meetings, you're our man. You're the managing partner. That's right, so my, they're busy. I'm you managing partner. Yeah, they got I'm, money, no time. Yep. You got no I'm managing money, you partner. Got yeah, right. I'm right. managing partner. I go, and basically I go to the meetings, I learn the business. So when we go on our two retreats a year, and we meet and we present, because that was one of the elements of our business. We wanted to learn everything about what we were doing we didn't want to put any money into anything and not learn it. We never wanted to give a cat some money. Be like, all right, go do the deal, right. and we out, and we'll just get the return on investment. We'll just get our money back, and cool. No, we're going to two meetings a year. We're going to meet with the guys we're investing with, and we're going to learn the business. We're going to break it down. We're literally getting on a whiteboard learning the business, right? So when we invest, we know what's going on. But I'm the managing partner, and so throughout the year, I'm going to the property, Right. I'm going to the Hilton H2 Suites Hotel that we got up in Knoxville. I'm going to the assisted living facility when they're breaking ground. They're doing a room and they're picking a towel color. I'm going to all that. And at the time I had that type of time and we did it. Right. And it was a beautiful thing because that's a legacy piece that we're still involved in until this day. Right. That we're still getting checks from until this day. 
You know, it's like yeah. every seed you planted before just shows up because obviously they made it to the NFL Absolutely. and you didn't, but the person you were, the character that you had, they said, yo, we can't trust nobody with the money. We can trust it. No doubt. <laughs> just Absolutely. based on the seeds you planted and the person you were. Yeah. Like you are so personally developed and uh, one of the most personally developed people I've ever met in my entire life. Thank like you, the way you just carry yourself and you're the same person. Well, you, you like chill when you talk about what do you yeah. get past it in that story yeah. on stage. <laughs> yeah, if you just talk to Ike and yeah. like you just have a conversation, you're like, man, he's such a nice young man. Yeah. He get on stage. <laughs> Yo, boom. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah. all right, cool. And I, I got a bunch of uh, questions. Yeah. Obviously, I, I wanted to go into how um, yeah. how you got got with your book, like yeah. that whole situation. Yeah. I remember that yeah, story. Absolutely. You got you got to keep touch on that real quick before yeah. we wrap up. Okay, absolutely. cool. So, um, you wrote your first book. Yep. And um, some weird stuff happened. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. It, um, like, and God had helped me, you know, he did a great thing for me at the time because we were self-publishing, mm. right? And so I wasn't really in a position like that, and he helped me. And, you know, there was a few of us involved, the guy that would ship him, you know, that we trusted, that would help us, you know. And, and when we created the company, you know, the deal was, okay, Inc., you pay me back. And you good, right? Because the guy was well off, right? He was an attorney, well off. And so we started doing the things with the book. Book started making money. And I'm the type, I didn't want to get any money until my partner at the time was paid back, right? I didn't want anything from it. And so I wouldn't take anything. We was out making a lot of money. You're right? the delayed gratification I'm king, like, bro. He's like, ain't you can get you 10000 I'm like, nope, I don't want nothing. I'm giving you all your money. Then I'm rocking, right? He well off, like man, multi millionaire. So we do it, pay him back. And he's and right? he's got bread. And you're oh still yeah, like, yeah, he Yo, loaded. Do you? He loaded, right? And um, we doing what we doing. We out moving with the book, doing deals. And so my man that's shipping, you know, great guy at the time, doing what we do. We had then gave him a card, right, to the account. So we doing what we doing, and um, some books started like getting low, but also in the account, right? Things would get, you know, a little, a little shaky, mm. right? And so would ask him about it from time to time. So we're like running out of books and running out of money. It wasn't adding make up, sense. right? It wasn't adding up mm. the book count and the money, mm. right? Because the way we stashed our books, it was American Book Company. And the owner of that was a friend of mine, great guy. He let us do it for free, like, because he's well off. Man got, like, four airplanes. Like, he's just a person, just a good-hearted person. Right, right. So we met doing some work in inner city Knoxville. He's like, Ink, you can stash your books here. And just things weren't lining up. And the guy that we had, the point person, he was the only one that can come in contact with that, as well as had the card with the money. And so when things would line up, I would just ask him, like, I wasn't accusing him or nothing like that, you know, and I would just be like, hey, man, have you seen this, that, and the third? And get defensive, mm. right? And so after a few times of getting defensive, I was like, all right, man, we just got to cut it, right? We just got to cut it, card, everything. And I went up one time to get some books for an event, and the lady was like, I gave him to, I don't want to say his name, you know, on camera. <laughs> um, I gave him to such and such. He came up and got the rest that was here, 
in a van. And I was like, no. And I couldn't fault her because that was the system. Yeah, for sure. That's who she was used to, coming to get him, do what he did. So my man, just to be spiteful, he came up and got him. We locked down the accounts. But that wasn't a problem that he got the books. That wasn't a problem. The problem was the file that the book and the information was on. And you got to think, at the time, I was young. I wasn't paying attention to this. Yeah. I was just doing it, trusting. I wasn't covering my bases. Right, the way right. I think now, that would never happen, right? It would never happen the way I think right, now. Right. He got the file. And when they did the information early on with the printing company that we did it with up in Virginia, yeah, my name was on the book, but on the information with the transactions and the things that were getting paid for, my name wasn't on that. You see what I'm saying? Or with the file, Right. And so when I went back and I was just trying to give them the bread to print some more. And it was like, yeah, you got to have that file. But also your name is not matching up with the people that did it. Right. And so I couldn't do it. I was in a position to where I'm trying to hunt my man down and my man basically them flee. Now, I've had different opportunities to come and do another one. And to be honest with you, with where I am in my life, man. And, you know, I've been blessed, man, more than anything. With the guy, it hurt me, bro. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not even on no... At first, I was like, man, I see my man like... <laughs> man, like, I'm about to play my... Hey, I'm going to play myself <laughs> off the street with him. You know what I'm saying? But it was like, the way I've been blessed, bro, it, was, it wasn't on no... Like, if he would have came at me and been like, Ink, I'm going through something. I need something. Like, bro, it's just money. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just money, bro. Like, you could get that. Just on the, my man was in my Bible study group. Just on the strength. Like, bro, you can, you can get that. Run with that. Like, you my man. Like, it ain't that deep. Like, I don't just cherish money. Like, you come, right. oh, no, man. Oh, bro, you going through something? You can get that on the strength. We'll get that back. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, I believe life works. I believe in reciprocity. Right? And so now, I still haven't caught him. You know what I'm saying? Thanks. And it's, it's you know what I'm saying? It's all love, man. You know, and I plan on releasing another project. I've had people approach me about book deals before. And so, you know, but when I do it, I'm self-publishing. I'm controlling everything. Got you. Got the means to do it and everything. But at the time I was young and my man did me a solid and I paid him back and I was trusting the individual and he did something that was spiteful. And so I'm sure he'll come back around. And I'm a hugger. He's got him, to bro. see what's going on right now. Yeah, he now. see it. And it probably scares him. <laughs> yeah. You know, he probably thinks that I'm in a different space, that I'm not in. You know what I'm saying? It'll be all love. You know, yeah. like, bro, I'm blessed. You know what I'm saying? Like, I ain't got, I won already. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And I'm not talking about financially. I'm not, I won when I made it out of Kirkwood to college. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I won already. I won when I was able to help my mother. I won, all, I won when I got married. Had my two children and me and my wife is in the household. I won already. You know what I'm saying? It ain't about that. And so for me, bro, I know I'm going to get what's coming to me. It's all G. You know what I'm saying? Amazing, man. Look, I, I, I know you got a really busy schedule, and I appreciate it. You have no idea. Um, one, you opened up uh, Social Proof last year. And oh I was just telling them, I've never, like, we had, what, like 30-something speakers, and like, almost every review said my favorite was Aki Johnson. And you wow. went crazy. Like, again, I had wow. so much going on. And, yeah. like, when you were speaking, it arrested me. 
Wow. Like, like literally, it, and until this moment right here, I, I couldn't explain why you've been my favorite speaker for a long time. Remember, I told you that like at CJ's yeah, house, no like, doubt. yo, Absolutely. top three of all time, yeah. right? <laughs> but I couldn't explain it. It was just like a feeling that I get when I hear you speak. And um, you just continue to show up, man. So um, oh. I like to make predictions as my final question. Um, what do you, where do you see yourself uh, doing or being or doing or accomplishing over the next five years mm-hmm. so that I can look at this video five, ten years from now and say, wow, Inky said he was going to do that. Yeah. Look at I got, I got the footage. He said Look he was going to do it. Look so up. what do you see yourself doing the next five, ten years? Um, I think that... Uh, I'm going to be one of, you know, the top, you know, communicators in the world. You know, I think that for certain. But not only the top communicators, I want to be one of the most effective. Because there's a lot of people that know how to speak. It's a lot of people that do a great job. But it's not effective, right, to where there's no conviction with it. But also, man, um, I just want to be an all-star father and husband, bro. Like, I'm going to tell you something like, a cat said something to me in the airport, and he was like, uh, man, bro, like, you, like, dismiss a lot of stuff. Like, you just so easy going. Like, you know, <laughs> give me some of the... And I don't think people understand. Like, when I went through what I went through with my arm and almost losing my life, right, and, you know, by the grace of God, I came through that, what it showed me was, like, bro, you're not in control of anything. Like, look at what happened with Kobe. You know what I'm saying? Like, and I know it's a piece that's, that's sensitive. It's unfortunate. All of the families involved, man, rest in peace, condolences and prayers. But you're talking about a guy that did that for 17 years. 17 years. I've been playing football from the time I was 7 to 20 years old. And I think for most people, I call it when they become, you know, have a certain level of success, they become so arrogant that they're foolish. Mm. Right? to think that they're entitled to something, to think that they're guaranteed something, to think that, oh, I'm just gonna get this and whatever, whatever. That's why when you asked me when I first walked up, said, Ink, what's up? I said, bro, just taking it day by day. You know what I'm saying? And that's real for me. You know what I'm saying? Every single day it's about waking up and being the best father, being the best husband, being the best servant that I could be. Because I almost lost my life. You know what I'm saying? Paralyzed my right arm. I live with this every day. Right, this ain't something that like every day is something with my children that they like, Dad, let's do this, and I can't do it. Mm-hmm. Not that I can't do it, but physically I can't do it. It puts you in a different space from a perspective standpoint. And so for me, I just hope I'm in the position to where whatever life brings me in five years, I'm in a position both mentally and physically and spiritually that I can handle it with the perspective and say, All right, cool, God, let's rock, I'm good. Right. Because for most people, they can't say if life brought them something that they didn't expect tomorrow or next week, that they'll be the same individual, have the same perspective and speak the same. And so for me, it's about making sure the soft skills are right, making sure the perspective is right, making sure the heart, the intuition, the genuine spirit is right. And so in five years, wherever I find myself, I pray that I'm both effective and efficient, but also I pray that I have my perspective, my spirit, and my mind and my heart intact. So whatever life throws my way, I'm still the same individual. Man, 
Yeah. Hey, I appreciate you, yeah. my brother. Um, no please doubt. let everybody know, um, you know, how they can get in touch with you. Uh, Absolutely. If they want to book you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm this new booking manager. Okay. Yeah, it is. <laughs> you heard it. You heard it. You heard it. But, yeah, go ahead. Let, let everybody yeah, know how they get in touch with you. It's inkyjohnson.com. Uh, Inky Johnson on all the social media uh, handles. And, man, from the bottom of my heart, bro, thank you so much, not only for interviewing me, man, but all the platforms, all the content you put out into the world, I think it's dope. And I told you, man, like early on, we was on tour together with E, doing some of the things. Like I told you, I don't think it's anybody that can do what you do. You know, and I mean that from the bottom of my heart, man. And, you know, peace and blessings to everybody that's putting out positivity in the world. Blessings on the journey, man. I wish you nothing but the best and all success. Appreciate you, my brother. Make sure you follow my brother, Inky Johnson's journey. Yes, sir. Peace. Yo, this is your boy, Donald the Boys. Donald the Boys. And that's right. If you're listening, then you know a little bit of my swag, my production. I'm a voiceover artist, podcast producer, and also a little bit of a creative. And I want to offer you a special offer for this podcast listenership. That's right. Head on over to DonaldTheVoice.com. And if you need any kind of commercials, promos, or advertisements, that then I'll be sure to hook you up. With prices starting as low as $50 for a fully produced commercial, I'm willing to give you the best value that you can get anywhere. So once again, head on over to DonaldTheVoice.com. And I look forward to talking to you. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.